welcome listeners to What Goes Around podcast. Today on the pod, we talk about jazz from heaven, jazz from hell, and jazz from purgatory too. And I talk a little bit about devotion and fandom and which artists have the most crazed, maniacal fans. <laughs> uh, we'll also be talking about a new Facebook group called World of Echo, which uh, you definitely want to be a member of. Uh, and more great news is that we have Bibi Lynch, who's going to talk to us about her phonographic memories. And it was a riot recording this. It was a really funny hour, so I think you're going to really enjoy it. It's hard. It's hard. <laughs> and Frankenstein. What goes around? Well, I've been thinking about this brand new Kamazi Washington release. I don't know if you've heard it, um, but uh, he scored the new Netflix documentary uh, about Michelle Obama. All of the things I talk about are going to be about what I'm watching. I hope that's okay. All I do is we've all been inside for about two, three months. I have no idea. All we've got to talk about. That's fine. Um, But yeah, he's he's uh, created the soundtrack to this new Michelle Obama documentary, which I haven't watched yet, but I've listened to the soundtrack and uh, it's gorgeous in true Kamazi Washington style and uh, it's funny because um, there's this quote the uh, Michelle Obama doc is based on her memoir which is called Becoming and there's a line Mm. in the book that reads and heaven as I envisioned it had to be a place full of jazz Uh, and I thought that's interesting I've never imagined Mm. heaven that way before Uh, and it's kind of fitting I kind of um, because I I remember when Sparks did that great album with Giorgio Moroder mm. number one song in heaven and I kind of always imagined it like that where it's all like um, arpeggiating synth lines and people on roller skates with angel wings just yeah a little bit like um, like uh, Vangelis or something I don't yeah, know if that's more in, of an 80s in, One of those infinitely white um, TV studio type spaces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but I guess it's like, I don't know. Well, I, it's just interesting because I, I've only met Kamazi once. He was at the Jazz FM Awards. He came and um, he came in the middle of the ceremony. He turned up late and uh, the people on the door didn't know who he was. So they were all like, what's your name? <laughs> who are you? <laughs> Obviously, he floated in in these robes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like absolutely someone from another world. He's a bit like Jesus, actually. He He's you know, got a he, Jesus vibe about him. Yeah, um, he exudes a bit of bit of star quality, doesn't he? He really does. About him. Just beyond star quality. And like he sat, um, he sat in the corner of the room on a high stool, sort of watching over proceedings. And gradually, as people noticed him there, they just sort of lined up to touch the hem of his garment. Basically, <laughs> it was quite, it was, it was quite a spiritual thing. Uh, but yes, it's just interesting that uh, that that's Michelle Obama's vision of heaven. And I guess it makes sense because um, when you think about heaven. You know, if it exists and this place where you're going to be for all eternity, I suppose you need music there that's kind of. I mean, know, if there's no music, I'm not going. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be checking the playlist at the door. What you got, geez? Yeah, send me to hell. It's probably a better soundtrack down there, actually. Well, now they do say the devil's got all the best tunes. That's so. true. I think that's true. But is that not like. Isn't that weird? I feel like jazz is more kind of more suited to that kind of edgier, maybe maybe a I don't know purgatory type thing. But I guess in heaven you need something that's constantly changing, don't you? Because you're going to be there forever. Anyway, my question to you: very long-winded. <laughs> so I've got more to say on because I'm I thinking tell. there are types of jazz that will work very well in heaven, and there are types of jazz that definitely will work in hell. Maybe jazz is playing in hell as well and purgatory. That's That'd a really good point. Itchy John Coltrane bootlegs from Tokyo in 1975, which which is just like 40 minutes of John Coltrane going. <laughs> <laughs> You're courting controversy there, Eamon. 
I wouldn't listen, go down he's that a genius. Road. He's done amazing stuff. But if you, you can't listen to the entire works of John Coltrane and say, nah, he never honked like a weird old goose. Because <laughs> he did. <laughs> <laughs> he does sound a bit like a goose. I've never made that connection before. Uh, it does happen, yeah. What genre goose. of music then? So you think sort of uh, synthy, um, yeah. sparks, vangelis type. Yeah, just kind of all clean lines. Do you know what I mean? Like sort of gently... Yeah, yeah, but jazz would do me as well. I mean, I could definitely, definitely have a bit of that going on. But you know, I, obviously, if you go downstairs, you're going to get rock and roll. That's true. That's a good point. Fuck Unless you're talking else. Cliff Richard, where does he belong? Actually, he probably is in hell, isn't he? Well, purgatory, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> because because uh, the devil wouldn't have him because he's. Let's be honest, he's a bit of a straight, and I don't think God's going to be too pleased after that millennium prayer thing went on for seven years. You think you know, God wouldn't was, like that? Oh, man, even that was... God has to draw the line somewhere. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's enough, Cliff. You think God, God has a bit of an edge to him? Maybe God likes jazz as well. Oh, yeah, but, you know, what type of jazz, as I say? It's not free jazz, I'm telling you that now. <laughs> Eamon Murder, what goes around? Well, now, uh, I was thinking something fairly um, godlike and holy as well. That doesn't sound like you. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Well, no, I was thinking about um, which artists have the most devoted fans. Ah. Because uh, on today's show, we'll have B.B. Uh, Lynch, and she talks a little bit about Elvis and her love affair with Elvis. And the whole phenomenon of um, of Presleyism and how the world stopped in a kind of Princess Diana's dead moment when Elvis died, and it got me thinking as to who are the um, the most devoted crazed fans because we also got sent a brilliant video, didn't we? Uh, called the Mondo Elvis. You got sent it by me. You mean? Yeah, I, I want well, full you credit. You got sent it from that. Wolfgang, didn't you? Yeah, but I sent it to you. I'm the conduit through which you <laughs> received that video, and I want full credit. Thank you very much. Carry on. All right. Well, listen. Some <laughs> genius sent me this wonderful documentary <laughs> called The Mondo Elvis. That genius being you. <laughs> Um, and it, it was amazing. It was like just people so who desperately, desperately needed to have the king in their life twenty four seven, and were tripping out on all kinds of crazy fantasies. There was a pair of twins, and uh, they were going, "Oh, we're just like Elvis because Elvis was a twin too, but his twin died, <laughs> and but we're twins, so we're just like him." And I'm just thinking. Which one of you is dead? <laughs> yeah. But also, I love how later on they're like, oh, you know, and we really think that Elvis is probably our dad because we asked our mom and she didn't say he wasn't. She never <laughs> said he was, but she never said he wasn't either. Just brilliant. Total straight faces. Tremendous, tremendous devotion all around. Uh, like the Elvis impersonator as well. I mean, it's like, why do you, why are you an Elvis impersonator? And his reason, basically, when he was asked, why are you an Elvis impersonator? When you stripped it down was just basically, oh, I think I'm Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, amazing. And I, I've, so Elvis obviously has very, very strident fans. I may have mentioned before that I once did a review of a Duran Duran gig. <laughs> and, uh, oh, my God, the Durannies are a terrifying bunch. <laughs> 
They, you make the slightest mistake. Anything you get wrong about the Duranis, you'll have 500 people correcting you in no uncertain terms. And then, of course, um, there's MJ fans who have gone a bit quiet, haven't they? That's true. I wonder yeah. what the party line is. Very difficult, very yeah. difficult for them. But I remember um, before the Neverland documentary and all that sort of stuff, quite a long time before, actually, uh, when MJ was kind of off the boil and a bit nowhere, really, um, the premises studio up the road uh, did a, an art exhibition and one of the pieces was a sculpture of Michael Jackson hanging his baby out the window like he did that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just, it was quite a weird, I don't know, like a brightly coloured papier-mâché model of just Jacko in his surgical mask, ahead of the times there, um, holding his baby out the window. And they got death threats. No, not like I'm. Uh, listen, I'm furious. I don't think you should depict Michael Jackson in that. It's like if you don't take it down, we're gonna burn down the premises. That's that's what they got. Wow. Crazy. Do you think you know? Michael Jackson enjoyed having an army of fans who behaved like that, or do you think because obviously th- the thing about it is when you have a fan base like that, it's almost like they own you. I imagine that's yeah. how it feels. So you probably uh, are, are you know, uh, perhaps feel like you can't put a foot wrong either. Although, I don't know, he did a lot of bad shit and no one ever seemed to turn on him <laughs> from his fan sur- base. Surrounded. Well, this is the thing. is like I, 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 Unless they actually had a video of him standing over, you know, doing something, mm. then I just think they, they would refuse to believe it. They would refuse, a lot of them literally refuse to even countenance it. Yeah. Do you know, and yeah. you've got to say he's a 50-year-old man who built a theme park in his back garden. That is quite dodgy. Yeah. That is quite dodgy. I'm that's not the tip of the that's iceberg. Proof. Exactly, exactly. But, you know, these guys, they won't even talk about it. It's yeah, like, yeah. it's crazy. So the devotion is real, do you know what I mean? Mm. I mean, shy of Charlie Manson, I can't think of who had a closer family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Terrifying mm. stuff. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Michael Jackson, Elvis. I feel like there's not, because... Yeah, there's so it goes kind of beyond just like obsession with music and that person's character in life. It's almost like people feel some kind of deep spiritual connection, like those twins yeah. thinking that they, yeah, and like yeah. There's so many theories as well around the around um, Elvis Presley and his death, like in the documentary uh, where they talk about um, how he died. The date that he died adds up to 2001: A Space Odyssey. <laughs> Whatever that's, <laughs> that's supposed a stretch, to mean, isn't it? That is a stretch. That is a real reach. But like, yeah, I mean, it's it's um, it's just crazy to think that one artist could inspire that kind of devotion. Eamon, what goes around? Well, now, I have found a use for Facebook. <laughs> I know. Wow. Thought it. Well done. No, basically, you know, Facebook is um, a dreary manacle which keeps me tied to my family and school friends. Um, but occasionally the, you find a little gem of light in there and uh, and good things come forth. And I have found Francois Kevorkian incredible disco disco dj and house dj for the last 40 years or so um he has started his own facebook group called world of echo and it is brilliant mm-hmm. absolutely brilliant so you've got because it's Francois kavorkian starting it off first of all you've got all of these people 
who you couldn't hope to hear their personal private thoughts on X, Y, and Z. But they all joined immediately. So, you know, Roisin Murphy's there, Bushwhacker's there, um, uh, Bruce Forrest, who did countless disco mm. mixes, um, uh, ooh, Nikki Sayano, uh, all of the greats from Studio 54 right through the House Revolution, all through the 90s, you know, just people from all of those things because he's worked with all of them and they all have incredible respect for Francois Kevorkian. So they all join this page uh, along with the plebs like you and me. <laughs> and it's wonderful because you It's a great leveller, Facebook. The plebs oh, you know? and the giants of disco together yeah, at last. Yeah, yeah. And what's lovely is... Um, because it is, it's kind of a nerdy thing. Now, there, there are parts of it that are a bit annoying where, you know, some people just kind of go there to show off or to say, oh, I've got a really rare single or um, why isn't everyone like the same things that I like? But skipping through that, you you, you get incredible um, stories from all of these characters that were involved in disco and dance music throughout the ages. And you just get recommendations that... I don't think you get anywhere else. They have a, a like a tag. It's, if you go to it, it's really worth looking at the tags at the top uh, on the on the Facebook page, and just click on a couple of those and and hop around a bit. What's the page uh, so called it, again? It's called World of Echoes. World of Echoes. And um, there's one uh, little tag on it called Osasumi, which apparently is the Japanese word for um, pleasing and curious music. Something like a an oddity that makes you feel really good. Perfect. And there's all these delicious, delicious recommendations. And it's it's not all what you'd expect, do you know? Um, sometimes you get very commercial recommendations. Sometimes you get completely obscure. You're never going to hear that record again. And sometimes um, you just hear things or mixes. Certainly there's been a lot of tracks that I knew, but I'd never heard this particular mix, which obviously didn't get the full press or whatever. And, oh, just treasure after treasure after treasure after treasure. I love it. I love it. That sounds well dreamy. Yeah, I would definitely recommend it. Get yourself uh, World of Echoes on Facebook. Um, just search about and start clicking and playing on things. Um, you will you will find something that will make you happy. What we're gonna what we're gonna what we're gonna do right here is go back, way back, back into time. Now on What Goes Around podcast, we welcome journalist, writer and broadcaster B.B. Lynch to the show. B.B. has earned a spicy reputation for her frank and frankly hilarious takes on sex and the city. Her After the Watershed show on BBC Radio Sussex and the Good Sex, Bad Sex podcast both take an unflinching look at relationships in the modern world. Her regular radio show, BB Does Soho on Soho Radio, is frankly one of the funniest ways to spend the afternoon in the city. BB is also an accomplished features writer and has talked honestly and openly about her experiences in life, both good and bad, in publications as varied as Marie Claire, The Guardian, The Telegraph and The Metro. Today, BB is here to share her phonographic memories with us and talk candidly about three songs that had an impact on her life at a particular time. BB, welcome to What Goes Around. Oh my God, I loved my intro. Can I just say one thing? I done. Go you on. Didn't you didn't mention my hair. 
man. People usually lead with their hair. You know, I did three drafts, and the first draft was all follicles and ringlets. I mean, the whole premise was like, listen, there's so much more to Bibi than just her hair. Well, I feel oh, like I that was implied. No. Oh, I love the intro. Thank you. It's so nice. Can I say something? Oh, my God. This podcast is brilliant. I love it. I love it. And you two together are a joy. So thank you so much for inviting me on. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank Thank you for coming. Yeah. Should we just wrap it up there? Yeah, bye. Thank you so much. No, Bibi, we have come to hear about your phonographic memories. Yeah. Uh, These are the songs that touch you at a particular time in your life that maybe wouldn't have touched you another time. Um, So how about we just start, kick off, what is your first phonographic memory? So this, (laughs) I don't think I'm going to come out well in any of these stories, but that's what wrong. But not as bad as wrong, Tom. No, no, just about as that. If you see flashing lights outside your window halfway through, there's not one episode that that was such a funny. Oh, anyway, Uh, so my first one is Elvis and "Don't Cry, Daddy." and the reason I chose Elvis, my, my thing with Elvis is really weird because I never cared about Elvis. I had nothing to do with Elvis. Elvis didn't feature in my life until the morning after he died when I decided I was in love with him, which is <laughs> kind is of like... such good timing. Kind of my approach to relationships. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till they can't say no. <laughs> oh, that's just helpful. Yeah, true though. No, but true. Um, so I just totally... Because it was everywhere, wasn't it? You know, you know, the yeah. king is dead and it was just all this info. And I was suddenly, I was I was 11. I was 11 when he died. August 16, 1977, wasn't it? And I was 11. And I was just like, oh, my God, who's this man? And and I fell in love with him and I was obsessed. And I would get, um, for years and years, like any gift that anyone would get me would be Elvis themed. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, I, I just totally fell in love with him. And I, I even, um, I learned to to do the Elvis dance, obviously. And then I um, I used to hold seances to try and get hold of Elvis. <laughs> well, when you take a fancy to a guy, you'll go to any length, right? <laughs> now, hang on. Is this because, because obviously Elvis had been around up until that point, but yeah. he resembled, uh, you know, kind of in no way the, the beauty and, um, uh, you know, the, the iconic look that he had in his early career. Is this because when... When he died, you kind of discovered what he was like before, or were you just yeah. not aware of yeah. it? I, I hadn't. My mum was a real. Um, my dad. My dad. Weirdly, it's really horrible to say something about something, but I can't. I can't associate a song with my dad. I, my dad just wasn't into music, but my mum, she she used to work in. Um, my mum's first boyfriend was Cat Stevens. Thank you. Thank you. My mum's first boyfriend was Cat Stevens, yeah. Was this in the hot um, hippie stage, yeah? It was was when he was Stephen Giorgio and he was in a band in my uncle. No, he was in my uncle. He was just a dude. He was a (laughs) schoolboy. They were at school together. And wow. he was, um, yeah, and he was in a band with my uncle Meru, and Meru was on drums, and they would practice in my nan's front room on in Neil Street in Covent Garden. I mean, Jesus, what a, wow. oh, and um, and my uncle got jealous that um, Stephen Georgia was kind of looking like things were going to happen, so um, they had a fight, and <laughs> and <laughs> they, the band broke up, and Stephen six months later was number one with um, maybe Matthew and Son, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, unbelievable. So my mum loved her music, and she worked in the record shop in, um, in Crystal Palace when she was, you know, I think when she just met my dad, and, and she just loved her soul and Motown so that was totally what I was absorbed in and and still that's just my music and I loved Mm. it I loved it so I just 
I knew the name Elvis, of course, and I would have known, you know, the classic like Jailhouse Rock. I would have, I would have known the kind of kitsch songs. Yeah. And and I, and I knew all that. But what it was was, I mean, he was. Am I, am I wrong in saying this? I think he would, would would have been just the world's first superstar. Probably. So yeah. When he died, it was like the world went into mourning. I got. I think. And I totally could be making this up. I come from a family of liars. So I could... I could <laughs> you're, totally you're in good be, company. <laughs> I could totally be making this up. But I recall mum and dad were having a dinner party. And for some reason, the TV was on, which would have been really rude. But I think it was. <laughs> and then... And I think the news was kind of like breaking news happened. And in my head, the way I found out Elvis died was... Um, it wasn't Twitter. <laughs> Quick on the tweet there. Um, I think, and again, I don't know if this is true. I mean, I guess I could, it's easy to find out. Jan um, Leeming, the newsreader, kind of broke the news. And you know when they get the, the, the kind of pile of, you know, A4 and they tap it on the table to kind of on the desk to straighten it. She mm. kind of did that and put it down and just said, I'd like to say this in my own words. And then said Elvis has died, and we were like, <gasps> and so the next day, bang! It was like every. I mean, I can still picture the 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 the, the picture, the open casket photos on the front yes. pages of the. Do you remember? And then, well, I was, and, I think I was seven, and I can remember, it, was, it was probably the first dead body I ever saw. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, that got dark quickly, and so. <laughs> I mean, um, and then I and then I think pretty much the next day they started playing all these um, films. Which I loved, by the way. I know people hate them. I love them. So I, yeah. So I just was, you know, immersed in it, and and I just think I was picking. I, it was like the Diana hysteria, wasn't it? I think I picked up on that kind of emotionally, and just realised it was, was a really big deal. And then started looking into his stuff, and oh my god, I loved. The songs I love with Elvis, I love like um, Suspicious Minds in the Get On. I, I like all that stuff. But I and 68 Comeback Special, of course, but that's just that's just hormones talking. But I love um, <laughs> but I really love his songs like, um, like Soldier Boy and Love Letters that have this real pureness and they're real. They're a real kind of innocence, you know, and I I I, I, mean, I just totally fell in love with him. And then, yes, I'd hold a seance. And we did one once. I think it was Maxine. I think it was her name, my neighbour. And um, a poster fell off the wall when we asked him to Whoa. contact her. Yeah, I know. Oh, shit. So I just loved him and fell in love with him. And, <laughs> and then subsequently, I haven't, I haven't fallen out of love with him, but he's, you know, he's, it's not my genre of music that I love especially, but it's weird I've kind of rediscovered him a little bit. And just because, I mean, that, that is a voice. And, oh, my God, I mean, was he the best-looking man on earth? You know, that Greek god profile. Yeah. And he was charismatic and he was funny. So I'm kind of getting him, I'm kind of feeling him again. But should I tell you why this song over yes, another other yes, song? So this that. is like such an aim drop. But <laughs> I faced a whole career on that, so I stop now. Um, did you? Ever, did either of you ever go to Gascoigne's in West London? I, I, I guess it's still around. It might be, I don't know. It was in the early 90s. And it was owned by one of the men in Depeche Mode. Oh. Do you remember it? No, I don't remember. No. I was I was out raving in fields at that stage. So I, oh, well, there you go. They wouldn't let you into the city. <laughs> just, <laughs> no just one let me in anywhere. <laughs> so anyway, I used to go there with some people. And um, and I remember being there one night and there was like the bar upstairs. And then there was like a kind of the, the kind of after party bit would always be downstairs. And we were down there. For some reason, there was like a sing-along going on <laughs> with some of Depeche Mode. 
and your friend Lynchy, I must have been a couple of Jack Daniels in, um, started singing Don't Cry Daddy. (laughs) (laughs) Of all the ones to choose. What a freak! And and they were like, yeah, you can sing. I was like, yeah, thanks, mate. And uh, so I love this song. Need me help on the new album? (laughs) (laughs) I made them coffees, that's all they needed. Um, So, so yeah, that's why, so that... So that song is, you know, that's my kind of like, oh, my God, how ridiculous is that song? With Depeche Mode in a basement in West London, (laughs) singing Don't Cry Daddy, and being told I can sing. I mean, does it get any better than that? Probably not. Well, the only thing that can make the story better is if it was the original incarnation of Depeche Mode and Vince Clark was there. Nah, killed it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you want, why are you like this? Um, Why are you like this? This is why we have the podcast, it's the Outlet TV. That's why we need this. You might need more. Today I stumble from my bed With thunder crashing in my head My pillow's still wet from last night's tears And as I think of giving up A voice inside my coffee cup Kept crying out, ringing in my ears Don't cry, Daddy Daddy, please don't cry Daddy, you still got me, little Tommy Together we'll find a brand new mommy Daddy, Daddy, please laugh again Daddy, ride us on your back again Oh, Daddy, please don't cry I, I've, I've got feelings, strong feelings. I don't. Know, would you like to go first, Anne? Because uh, you'll be quicker. Oh well, <laughs> I've been to. I, I went to Graceland. I went. Oh. To, uh, yeah, I went to um, uh, what you call it, uh, Sun Studios as well. Stood next to the microphone that his lips were on. Inhaled. Oh, um, and uh, I actually found a picture of Elvis recently that I sent to a friend of mine, which I'll also send to you. Um, oh. A photo that was taken surreptitiously of Elvis with a girl backstage somewhere. And he's put, he's like, they're touching tongues. It's very sexy. I'll send it to you. That's what I think about Elvis. Uh, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that sums it up. To be honest with you, with you all the way, baby. All the yeah. way. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, well, uh, first of all, like, it, what an unusual Elvis track to choose because oh, you know it, you. <laughs> it's. I had to look it up. But, you know, I thought I, I didn't recognise it straight away. So, I, you know, and uh, I feel like I should know these things really. Um, so, an unusual track, a very sentimental, like sort of um, lovey Elvis. Very nice. Um, I had issues with Elvis when I was younger. I enjoyed him when I, when he died. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, man, this is for broadcast. Oh, dear. What I, let me clarify. Seeing his I, dead body on the front page of the paper. Yeah. I've never well, felt so alive. Listen, it was my first dead body, and I have a right to enjoy that. You know? um, no, so I kind of got, like you, then they showed all the films, didn't they? Yeah. And I was seven, eight years old. So the films were perfectly pitched for me, you know, like Blue Hawaii and stuff, where he plays his own twin really badly, <laughs> which honestly is one of the worst. That is right up there with uh, Bobby Ewing coming back from the dead in Dallas, that one. <laughs> but um, I, so I really got into all those and I didn't quite enjoy it. But then um, as I became a teenager, I became quite a pious muso 
as yeah. you might have I can't imagine that. <laughs> Very difficult to picture. I used to get really annoyed at people going on about Elvis being the king of this, that, and the other because I thought, well, he only wrote two songs yeah. or something. You know, yeah. he wasn't. He was a great singer, and I appreciate yeah. that. And he was a great performer, and I appreciate that. You know, they. It wasn't always either of those two things. There were large periods where it was a bit wobbly, yeah. in more ways than one. But um, he never, you know, I, I liked the Beatles because they wrote their own stuff. I liked Jimi Hendrix because he wrote his own stuff. I wanted that kind of relationship. I wanted to look at someone who was a creator of things. And for me, he was like the sort of thing that my mum would like, where he would be a showman. He'd be like Val Dunican, could sing quite well. The only difference is that he was very good looking and he shook his hips on television in the 1950s. And no one had ever seen a man shake his hips before. But you know what's interesting about what you just said? Because, it, and actually, even those two songs that um, we think he co-wrote, I don't think, apparently he didn't co-write. Yeah. Co I don't I think, think he wrote Love Tender at all. I think, the, yeah, the, the, um, it's that change of word claim a third thing, isn't it? I think the um, record label um, wouldn't let him, RCA wouldn't let um, writers, mm. that writers had to give away 50% of their credits sometimes for, for Elvis to record it. So actually he didn't actually write the ones we thought he'd write, written. Nah. But what about... Um, can't we say that he's an incredible interpreter of song in the way that people say yes. Sinatra is? Yeah, so I don't have a problem with... Um, I have a problem with the people who just do the whole Elvis myth all the way down the line, yeah. greatest thing mm. that ever lived. I have a problem yeah. with that. People who say he was the best singer ever lived, I'm, I'm all right with that. I, I'm not, I don't agree, but, you know, I'm, I wouldn't... I don't want to burn on Indians Parade or, you know, anything like yeah. that. Um, but I just it felt... It sounds me, like you want to. Well, I think I would have. Do you know how we were talking about this in an earlier podcast uh, where uh, when you're younger, you're quite militant about shit. <laughs> you're just like, burn the heretics. Like my music. And I, this is what I was like when I was a teen going yeah. into the 20s. And I, now I've mellowed and now I quite enjoy it. So the, I really like very early Elvis. Yeah. I like yeah, Mr. Yeah. Train and That's Right Mama. But yeah. I, I get annoyed that he never paid Arthur Big Boy Crudup for That's All Right Mama. Mm. Oh, really? Blues singer who originally did it and was brilliant. Never got a penny, as far as I know. That was uh, the way back then, though. You didn't give any uh, money to blues artists. And can't <laughs> we blame Tom Parker rather than Elvis? Well, I'm not even sure if Tom Parker was on the case with the sunset. Really? Isn't that really? very early? I think Actually, he... I think you might be right. Yeah, he kind of came in. I think he's a character, wasn't he? You know, so there are issues with that. And then also, I, I read a few books about the Beatles and things. And... Uh, uh, Apparently, Elvis contacted the FBI volunteered mm. to spy on the Beatles and John Lennon <laughs> in particular. <laughs> I don't know, I can't warm to him. <laughs> Wasn't there that, there's that picture of him with Nixon at the White House getting some kind of big old, like, boxing belt? Yeah. Or something for some, and it's an FBI drugs kind of. Will you stop ruining Elvis for me, for I'm, God's I'm, sake? I'm really sorry. I do this. I did this once in a pub uh, with a friend of mine, um, and because she started talking about Elvis, and I didn't know she was really into it. I just thought she, we were having a conversation. About so, being like a few ciders down the line, I just <laughs> let it all out. And fuck me at the end of the night, my wife said that to me, and she just said, "Well, you ruined that evening." <laughs> <laughs> she loves Elvis. <laughs> and I was like, it was just a no you just <laughs> on her hero <laughs> i mean i the, the thing about the thing about him was he was just it was right place right time and he was yeah. that perfect balance of like incredibly sexy if you yeah. noticed it and also very accessible yeah, uh, yeah. if you didn't Eamon, obviously you didn't notice i say i was more susceptible <laughs> to his sexiness and that's was, why much of it has gone over your head he didn't wear enough makeup for me 
Gary needed him. Jesus, though he was beautiful. There was um, so there's um um an L- see I've seen quite a few Elvis tribute acts in my time as oh, well. Really? And there's a great one that used to be in Stretton. <laughs> Um, in a Chinese restaurant, but there's one down here. Um, I'm in Hove at the moment, and there's one in um, there was one down here called Suspiciously Elvis, and um, me and my friend Emma and her um, her mum and her sister and her uh, dad um, we <laughs> went to see him, and a he was brilliant like vocally, yeah. but oh my god, his comic timing. So it's again in a Chinese restaurant. What is that? Anyway, it's in a Chinese restaurant, <laughs> and um, he's singing away, and then at one point this woman walks past. And he's like, "Hey, Priscilla, where, I won't do the accent." He's like, "Hey, Priscilla, where have you been?" It's like, and I'm, I'm howling. And then, um, and then he's like halfway through a song, and he stops and says, "Oh, um, just to let you know the buffet's open." And then carries on. With song. <laughs> That's very Elvis, though, isn't it? That's like, yeah, the peanut butter yes. jelly sandwiches are here. Name <laughs> <laughs> oh, I... you show some bloody respect. <laughs> I, listen, I'm not a total heathen. I've been to see Elvis impersonators too. Yeah. And my favourite one was, get this, Elvez. So yes. he, he was a Mexican Elvis impersonator. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I was just thinking about. I found a photo the other night, and um, who sent me the picture? I can't remember. And um, oh, it was Helen. And um, a girlfriend of mine made me a. I mean, it's almost life size because I'm. I'm not even. I'm almost five foot two. But it was about a four foot high Elvis in Vegas pose in mm. the kind of white catsuit and all the um, the crystals and diamante stuff that she's made. It's made out of cardboard, obviously. And it's um, quality street wrappers. And I had that for years and years and years. Whenever I moved, I took it with me. Yeah. Well, yeah. I didn't sleep with it, Eamon, because I know that's your follow-up question. <laughs> <laughs> Even you have a day off. Um, <laughs> now, <laughs> um, so, what, so you... You, you did karaoke with Depeche Mode, though. I think this is the real story here, isn't it? Well, I don't want to call it karaoke. I like to call it a jam session. Oh, I like your style. I <laughs> Thank like you. your style. That's very nice. I know. That's so random, isn't it? Mm. Mm. So, I know. I, I feel bad now for being, being no. bullshit about Elvis. As I say, I'm, I've grown older now, and I, I'm, I'm more welcoming of him. And I certainly yeah. do like a few of his tracks in The Get is a wonderful thing. Yeah. And uh, I even like Way Down. That was the one I liked when oh. I was a kid. You know, way down, do me, do me, It's very, um, you can't sing it without doing a Vic Reese impression. That's the one they released when he died, wasn't it? That was the one and that, that was, was like, it, number yeah. one straight after, yeah. And it was number um, one for a lifetime, I think. <laughs> 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 You've got such an edge to you. <laughs> you I lo- I've never loved that? you more. <laughs> well, listen, let, I, I let, let me shut up. Yeah. Let's yeah. let the music do the talking because he was the king. We're yes. not going to argue with that. Yes. Let's hear the king do his daddy. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. Daddy, you've still got me and little Tommy. Together we'll find a brand new mommy. Daddy, daddy, please laugh again. Daddy, ride us on your back again. Oh, daddy, please don't cry. Oh, daddy, please. Don't cry. Go on, give us give us a few bars, baby. I'm not fucking singing to you. You don't sing. <laughs> I've just had a sip of water. I'm Look not what you've singing. Done, Amy. Look what you 
Look what he's done. Yeah. I can't even reach my water and it's 150 degrees. <laughs> this podcast is meant to be a safe space. It's not where people come to get judged. <laughs> if you ask. Hilarious. Well, now that I've ruined everything that you grew up loving, <laughs> what is your second phonographic memory? My second is um, Scritty Politi and Word Girl. And um, the reason I chose this song is I wanted to be um, a singer. <laughs> I mean, I have got quite an impressive, uh, impressive vibrato, but that's, that's another story. No, I really want to be a singer. What about singing? Left... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when I left school, I wanted, to be, um, I wanted to be in the West End and I wanted to sing and act. And I really had no discernible talent. <laughs> but <laughs> I, um, I joined a cabaret group when I was about... But 18, I think. And it was called Chris Gibson and the Exhibitionists. I was an exhibitionist. And um, we Chris Gibson um, then. Thanks for clarifying. <laughs> 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 and it was oh man, I we had such a laugh. We I didn't go to university. I did this instead. <laughs> it was brilliant. <laughs> and um we it was um all the boys in the cabaret were gay, all the girls were straight. I don't know what that mix was about and um so we would play all the gay venues and we so we did the whole gay circuit and we had an absolute i won't say ball we had an absolute blast <laughs> and um and our our shtick was that we were we were kind of dressed up in kind of 1940s um you know the boys were in you know tux outfits and the girls no. were in like little dinners uh, you know classy like, show then oh my god yeah it's this classy my gimmick was singing into a dildo called Derek. <laughs> <laughs> was did you announce the did you introduce the dildo before you sang or was that just your name for it do you know i i really hope i announced him <laughs> i really <laughs> hope he had his own theme music I, I, but um i think i, I saw love... Derek those at glastonbury once <laughs> <laughs> We, and we had such a funny time and our, yeah our thing was so at that time the whole gay scene it was mainly um for entertainment it was mainly drag artists miming mm. and um so we were singing live i mean not necessarily well me but um the rest of them were but we were so we would sing pop songs and classics and standards and we would bastardize the lyrics and so um the Derek the dildo one was just what I always wanted. I said he was giving me a dildo to use, and yeah. um, I interviewed Mary Wilson, and now I'm glad to she's a friend of mine. But it took a couple of <laughs> meetings before I dare say to oh Mary, I used to sing your song into a dildo called Derek. <laughs> <laughs> how to win friends and influence people. Very good. Yeah. So how old were you when you were when you were singing into a dildo then? Eighteen. Thank you. You've got a daughter. How? Yeah, 18. And we would, I mean, we would, oh, we played, I think we played the Hippodrome. Oh, wow. Big we hit. played, we played like all, all you know, uh, RBT. We were backstage. We, we supported Liddy Savage at the RBT. Wow. Yeah. For those who That's only know. The UK. For anyone who only knows Lily Savage from the dog show and 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 uh, back in the day, she was the funniest, rudest, rudest, rudest thing I'd ever seen in my life. And oh my god, I saw her once and I nearly died laughing. Absolute <laughs> genius. Well, I we I mean, so yeah, I would and I would um, often fill up Derek. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so that you could kind of squirt him at the end of a especially impressive mm. chorus. Oh, come on, Eamon, get with it. So I would, um, and I remember being in the tiny um, dressing room at the back of uh, the Royal Vauxhall Tavern, the RVT in um, Vauxhall, um, kind of pumping Derek's bulb, if I will, in a, yeah. in a, a, t- a sink full of water just to kind of fill him up. Lily Savage standing next to me. <laughs> But then years later, when I became um, a writer, I, which was the magazine? I think it was Ludus. Ludus was the first sex magazine for women. Um, And I, (laughs) unsurprisingly, was a columnist. And I, um, and they sent me to Edinburgh, Edinburgh Festival to interview Lily. And they flew me up there. I mean, it's back in the day. Can you imagine that now? Mm. Flew me up there. And um, it was Oh, it was just such a thrill because I just thought she was, I mean, genius level. And I interviewed Paul O'Grady Lily in um, uh, a kind of B&B in Edinburgh. And and we didn't do it. So, you know, Barry Humphreys always will only interview as Edna in full yeah. drag and everything. Um, that wasn't, that didn't happen. So Paul was just like, you know, in his civvies. But we were in this like B&B and we, it, but he's got Lily's voice, you know. <laughs> and I was asking for love advice from Lily. I mean, it was just, just funny. And then they put it in the magazine and it was um, a double page spread. And it's um, a kind of vertical, a landscape photo of Lily Savage in drag. And, um, and the headline was more than a woman. Oh, <laughs> lovely, lovely. So, oh, my God. Anyway. So, more than a woman. Back to the word girl. Yeah. <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah. So I did the exhibitionist and blah, blah, blah. And then after that, um, I still wanted to be a singer. And I was working at Strong Room. Do I have either oh. of you been involved at Strong Room? That's Eamon Sagan. Eamon, of course you play that's, there at the yeah, bar. That's, uh, uh, until this, this dreadful COVID thing happened, I had a regular night there every month. Of course, of course. Oh, I knew perfect. that. Well, Strong Room... Oh, I mean, people dream about their family homes. I dream about strong room. Mm. So I started working there when I was 19 or 20. And I was their first receptionist So like when they opened. And I just just love, loved it and love it to this day. And I feel really part of the family there. And when anyone, if I go there to the bar or to the, the building and... Um, I don't know. I just have a real ownership over the place. I hate anyone else working there. Anyway, <laughs> that's my thing. Um, so I worked at Strong Room, and while I was doing it, so I was really involved in the music scene. And and then I, um, but I still wanted to sing, and I joined an a cappella group. Uh, well, actually, my singing teacher was Ian Shaw, amazing oh jazz my singer. Gosh, Ian, Shaw. Ian Shaw, yeah, he does a show on jazz. Oh, yes, he does. So Ian was my singing teacher. Amazing. Yeah. And then Ian introduced me to Vococo. And Vococo were an a cappella band. And we would play, um, again, standards like Sam Cooke, You Send Me. Um, what other stuff did we do? Loads, loads of um, original stuff as well. I mean, just before I joined Vococo, um, Amelda Staunton was in it. Brian yeah. Kennedy. I mean, like absolute wow. talent and then Lynchy somehow manages to work her way in. You are and hiding your light under a bushel here. Yeah. I don't I don't believe you when you uh I can hold you... a tune but I've got no no real talent. But I loved it and I loved the rehearsals and I love a cappella and I love just that merge of the voices is so exciting as a singer to kind of pick up and it I just, I just I made lifelong friends through it and it was just a joy. Anyway word girl because we um that was my song that was the song that I sang lead on and again I love the rehearsals but I get so nervous for performance I just wasn't a natural singer performance wise it was too much for me we played Ronnie Scott's <gasps> but we had a gig at Ronnie. Ronnie's so I'm on stage at Ronnie's I've told everyone I know to come along because it's Ronnie Scott's 
we start doing word guard. Jesus Christ. I mean, I got through it, but it was ugly. I mean, mm. I was so nervous and my throat, and it just was so tight. And so the reason I've chosen this is this was the song that made me realise I should be a writer. Oh. Wow. <laughs> so I, I see, not a songwriter, just a writer. <laughs> no, just a writer. <laughs> I, there must I, be pe- pe- Sorry, go on. I just gave up. I was like, I can't. I mean, I love singing. I, and and yeah. And one of my friends, actually, Shelley Ambry, who I met through um, at Vococo, now is um, head of learning at Sing Up, which is this beautiful organisation that encourages singing in the community and at schools and really pushes and advocates the, um, the positivity of, um, of singing in terms of um, not just community and that it's just fun to sing and you hear mu- mm. brilliant music, but like physically how it's great for you and um, how it can build confidence. So just all these like really gorgeous aspects of it. Um, and so, yeah, I met Shelley through that and, and, and I did love it and I still love it. And I actually think I want to join a choir now, but I it ju- I was just too nervous to do it as an actual kind of front person. No. So, it, yeah, and it just made me think, I'm at Ronnie's. This should be the, the beginning of something amazing. And I was just a wreck and I was like, oh, oh. man, no. So I can. Um, so I started to become a writer. But is that does that is that not that must be incredibly bittersweet. That yeah. feel like a song that represents the moment where you had to felt like you had to give up on your dream I mean it must be difficult to listen to now or is it well here's the thing I hearing it now will be the first time I've heard that in about oh my god I mean could it be as far back I mean easily 20 years what a privilege it's a great privilege for you to share it with us oh I think uh, Scritter Plitty are fantastic Green Gut Side is amazing isn't it I had a little frog in my throat because um, I've heard that one of the members of Craftwork has died today. Oh, oh no! Yeah, yeah. Um, and the reason I mention that isn't just to bring you down and, <laughs> and ruin the whole vibe, but it's because when I went to see Squitty Politi, and I I love Squitty Politi and always loved them from when I was like seven, eight years old, they were just like, I loved them. Um, but they were kind of like a sweet pop thing that no one else really liked apart from me. Mm. Um, so anyway... They hardly ever toured and he didn't really, you know, he was just a, he was quite a reclusive man is our green. Um, and uh, eventually he did this uh, sort of series of comeback gigs and I went to see him and he was amazing. And he told this brilliant, brilliant story about um, he was doing the word girl and um, talking to his, his record company. And they were saying like, uh, oh, you know, we've got some money. We could try and get someone to remix it. And he was thinking, oh, who in my dream list of things could I get to remix it? And so he um, he asked the record company to make contact with Kraftwerk. And, uh, no you know, so the word goes this lovely, lilting, sweet pop, sort of like reggae-ish, um, what was that, lover's rock vibe? Wasn't yeah, it? Is, is that, yeah. That kind of vibe. So anyway, um, apparently uh, they got in contact with Kraftwerk and uh, sent them the song and everything. And then found out and said, like, so what do you think? And, and uh Ralph just went, we love the reggae. (laughs) 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 Which must have been just beautifully bittersweet.
of big in circles. But why, why, why didn't they take over the world or did they? It's because he is, uh, Green Gartside is a very um, private guy. And mm. uh, basically he, when I've heard interviews with him and he basically said like, um, I got success quite young. I became mm. rich enough that I didn't really have to worry too much. So, um, you know, I just did what I wanted. And he lived in America for a while and used to hang out with Miles Davis. And then he came back. Oh. He made hip hop beaks in a in a sort of cottage in Wales for like 10 years or something. Just, you know, he, it's not that he's anti it. He just, you know, he's, he says that he's got like albums and albums on a hard drive somewhere waiting to go out. But I don't think he enjoys the whole machinery of it. Yeah, you know, so I don't yeah. Think the, the whole touring and getting it out there and you do that kind of makes me love him a little bit more. Yeah, no, he's a lovely man. He's a lovely, lovely man. Have you met him? Uh, sort of, sort of. I've, I've stood within a person's distance. Of him. Um, I don't know if you know Rodney Marston, the uh, writer. You know Rodri? Uh, yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. So uh, he was in Scritty, yeah. That's right, and he still is. He still he still does keyboards for Scritty. Um, but he also wrote this um, Christmas book. No, it was a first dates book. That was it, and it was like um, stories of the worst first dates ever. And um, it suddenly it blew up like a few years ago. It was a big thing. And uh, <laughs> Scritty Bliss, you were all like walking down the street. And because Green Guts is a very private man, someone shouts at him and goes, oh, hi, it's you, isn't it? And he's all like, oh, no, what's going to go on? And then they run past him and go straight to Roger. I love that first day. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was in that book. Please. No way. Oh, please. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure if I can tell you. Of course, you must. You must. <laughs> I'm really okay. Right. I'll, I'll edit if it's too much for us. <laughs> okay. So I'm on a date, right? And this bloke's inviting me back to his. Um, well, I'm assuming I was in the book. So I remember when that happened on Twitter and I kind of gave a story and Rodri was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And um, so I think it went in. Anyway, um, so I'm on a date and this boy um, says, oh, you know, I, I'm a, I've been, it wasn't actually a first. I think it was like a worst for me. So I'd been on a couple of dates with him. And he said, come to my house. So I went to his house and he was going to cook me dinner. So while he was cooking. <laughs> While he was cooking, um, he said, listen, I need to go to the laundrette. And I was like, oh, okay. So I went to the bloody laundrette with him on a date. Anyway, and that's not even the Hot. worst bit. That's not, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get to the laundrette, you know, watching the, the thingy go around. There's a payphone, And he yeah. actually calls his dad <laughs> in a laundrette <laughs> on a payphone on a date with me standing there and is talking about me to his dad <gasps> and says, I bet, them, I bet she can get them in her mouth. Oh, oh so many things wrong with that. I don't even know where to begin. Did he know that you were in earshot? Yes. Whoa. How do you think? Like, was this? Was it really his dad? He was on the phone to. Was this some kind of technique? Did he? Was this? Uh, did Who he just to their dad like that? <laughs> and listener, I married him. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, isn't let's... that brilliant? Let, let's just hear the song, shall we? <laughs>
BB, your third uh, choice for your phonographic memory today is a beautiful soul song. In fact, I saw you tweeting about this recently as well. Tell yeah. us about your third phonographic memory. So I know it's impossible to say, but it is possible for me to say um, this is my favourite song. Ah. Yes. This is my favourite song. Positivity, I, I like that. Yeah, mm. I, I mean, I love my music. I've always loved my music. and But this song, so it's Donny Hathaway and Someday We'll All Be Free. And... You know what I think is so weird about music is that you can have real gaps in your knowledge about music. You think you can know a lot about music and then you're suddenly like, I had no idea. There's I, always more. Always. Yeah, I had never even heard the name Donny Hathaway until I was about 33. Mm. And I was, isn't that mad? And I'd like loved my soul. I, lo- I knew Roberta Flack, mm. but I hadn't, um, yeah. I just hadn't. And I think I would have heard the duets, but hadn't realised who he was. Mm. Anyway, I was going out... Um, this isn't laundrette man <laughs> i was dating um i was dating oh, actually were we dating we were friends I and mean, we you know we'd see each other a lot um a music journalist and i remember being at his house and um we're in his bedroom and i was in bed and we were just playing loads of music and he had really extraordinarily beautiful uh, music tastes um it, Mainly, I say that because it tallied with mine, <laughs> and it was, um, you know, real soul and just all that, all that gorgeous stuff. He also really, really, really loved metal, <laughs> and what? I could never get my head around the brain that loved both <laughs> as passionately. But he did. Anyway, we were in bed, and he still, um, have you heard Donny Hathaway? And I said no, and I, and he was like, oh my god, let me play you this. I mean, he played me. So he played me. Someday we'll all be free. So I mean, mm-hmm. what an introduction to, to Donny Hathaway. And I cried. I just sat there and I cried and I just, I couldn't, I just didn't don't think I'd heard anything like it. And it's just that, I don't well, know, that thought. Yeah, go on, sorry. No, don't apologise to me. You're the guest. <laughs> <laughs> you carry on. What were you going to say? I was just going to say, is it, uh, is it, was that a particularly sort of, um, uh, was that kind of love affair? Was that like a particularly emotional time for you? Like, was that relationship part of the reason why no. the song made you feel so emotional? No. no, you were totally indifferent to him. No, 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 no. He was a really <laughs> lovely man. He, no, he was a really he lovely man. But it, it wasn't like a big love story or anything. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't that. It, it was, was just. just from, it was. It was the voice. It was. Good. It was just. Ian Shaw does this to me. I can't um, hear Ian sing without wanting to cry. And because I, I, I think there are some voices that just pierce through, aren't they? And he's and Donny Hathaway for me, he's just got that. Well, a the range, and he's just there's just a rawness and just the yeah that gentle piercing yeah. and also. Well, so, so then the, the journalist was saying to the journalist, I'm only saying that because I don't give his name up, but he was um, one famous. Oh, he is famous. Phoebe, um, <gasps> you can tell us afterwards. <laughs> Famous, I don't know. Um, he's brilliant, a really nice bloke. Anyway, he um, he told me the story behind the story of someday we'll all be free, and so now I know this story, which I'll tell you in a sec. I don't know if I was hearing that in the voice, but mm. so the so most people assume someday we'll all be free is a civil rights song, mm. um, and it's not. It was adopted by the civil rights movement brilliantly and right, you know, and and, and they should have been brilliant. But um, but the story of, of the song is. Um, and this just breaks my heart. Donny Hathaway um, suffered suffered from severe depression, and um, oh my God, I just thought of something. Oh, I'll say that in a sec. It's from <laughs> from severe depression and um, was diagnosed as paranoid schizophrenic. So he just was in mental agony, 
Mm. And this song was written by his lyricist um, as a song of hope, saying, someday you'll be free. Oh, that is lovely. Isn't it incredible? And someday you won't be in this pain. And I just want to write something that I think gives you just just belief that this won't always be be the way it is um and now um, and paul told me oh, oh. <laughs> sorry and he told me that and and i was just like and then i mean i just think it's extraordinary and then of course um donny hathaway committed suicide yeah and you know, he I, I never knew i never knew any of the the mental out a window he, he jumped out a yeah. window fell out a window didn't he he, he, he jumped out of a window of his hotel in New York and mm-hmm. he was, and I've just thought of this and it, I mean, God, no connection, but I kind of love these connections. He was 33 when he died and I just said to you, wasn't I? I was 33 when I first yeah. heard of him. I love oh, things like God. that. Um, 33. And he, I, I just, oh God, to have seen him live. Well, I mean, the, Johnny Hathaway live is one of the best live albums ever. Yeah. Oh, without, yeah. Without, without you know, and yeah. extension from that. I mean, there's actually two versions of it now because they released an extended really? version, and it's it, it's like when you've got all the cake and a cherry on top, and then someone <laughs> grows this giant fluorescent yellow cherry of joy and puts it on top of that. <laughs> it's even better, you know. Oh, but I, 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 I was kind of similar to you in that I uh, there's, there's two people like that who I I love it when you discover someone, and then you just scratch away the stuff and you realise there's a there's a massive mine of brilliance under there. Mm. And I was in, I was in my thirties before I discovered uh, Donny Hathaway. Really, I'd heard like the bits he'd done with um, the duets, like you say, yeah. um, but I had no idea about how good an album that like everything is everything was. Mm. And when I got hold of that, I was just like, oh, it's just brilliant. And then the next one, and the next one, and then you know, and so many wonderful songs. And like he had it all because he, like you say, he had the range. He also had like this calm presence, mm. like yes. when he was doing something. Do you know, there was like a it wasn't like he never had to say come on everybody you know it was you just everyone was with him from the moment they saw you know i love that you say that because there is a i'm sorry to interrupt you but we're talking about donnie now (laughs) (laughs) it's it's the calmness i think is really key because he's really he's raw but it's controlled and it's contained and i think that makes it more powerful so he doesn't really do the vocal histrionics because yeah. he kind of doesn't need to. It's kind of like yeah. he's almost his heart is feeling that and his brain's thinking it and it just comes out in a in a measured way. And he I mean, I've just never heard a voice that does to me what it would what it does. He apparently when he first when he heard the kind of final mix in the um in the control room cried. Mm. Oh not surprising. That, that kind of almost makes it better. And, you know, the last um, gig that I played before lockdown, I played at Spiritland and um, the owner was in and we had this weird conversation. Obviously, no one knew what was going to happen. It was all a bit strange. My, you know, my whole income was like under threat. Yeah. And obviously, there was this looming, um, you know, hideousness just around the corner. We didn't know what was going to happen. And um, I got into the cab uh, after the gig, put my records in the back and the cab driver was like, oh, do you mind if I put some music on? And I was like, oh, yeah, put it on. So I can judge you. This will be my afternoon. <laughs> and um, he stuck it on first first bars of Donny Hathaway live, and we just sat there listening listening to Donny Hathaway live in in silence. You know, just not saying anything to each other for the whole journey. It was it was the perfect in such strange uh, and you yeah, know yeah. Uh, circumstances. It was just the most perfect serendipitous thing. Ah, oh, stunning. Well, you, go, go on. Oh, I was just going to say he is one of those ones that uh, just. Um, 
has this kind of amazing presence on all his albums uh, and the, some of the tracks i really like are kind of not the the ones you notice straight away there's a track called sugar lee which is just like an instrumental mm, uh, on everything is everything and um it, everyone's playing for each other on that record it's yeah. obviously recorded live you can hear them shouting and going yeah go on you'll play that bit you know and donny hathaway's going yes 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 and he's, he's playing certain part you can hear him kind of vocalizing the chords he's going to play next and you know it's just so wonderful to hear a, a musician that in control of his his art with all these other people literally you know hanging off every note that he's playing you know it's, it's a wonderful wonderful thing the horn um section on someday will all be free as well i mean it's just it's it's just joyful and you also as well really feel his classical training you can really tell that yeah, he was inspired yeah, yeah. by classical artists and it's i mean and also and i don't want to blow my own what's it but could i have <laughs> please chosen- do could I, with this back, could I have chosen a track with a more appropriate title right now? Mm. That is very true. Good is, point. Let's all nestle back in the comfort lounge <laughs> of our duvets <laughs> um, and listen to Donny Hathaway do his thing because there are few finer sounds on God's good earth. Your work here is done, baby. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank, thank you. you. What an absolute pleasure. Was it okay? I'm going to go and Google um, a music journalist named Paul now. Paul's <laughs> got me. Oh, that's so funny, isn't it? Um, I hope that was all right, kids. That was beautiful. The only problem will be that I, I just would like it to go on for another couple hours. Except oh, that, I know. It's, well, yeah, I'm, I'm the same. But I'm uh, sweating buggers. I'm going to lose so much weight. I don't think it would be able to <laughs> Thank you so much for asking me. I really think the podcast is brilliant. So thank oh, you. Oh, baby, it's such a pleasure. I hope we get to hang out in the flesh. Yes. Stage soon. Yes. Someday we'll all be free together. We'll be free. Someday we'll be free. <laughs> let me know when this is um well let me know how you both are keep 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 in touch and let me know when this is out and then we'll um share it everywhere we i'm will. going to send you that sexy picture of elvis as oh, well man. Yeah. Yes, and, I'm gonna, 
I'm going to send hate mail to your neighbours. <laughs> <laughs> All right, lovelies. I'll see you soon. I'll see you later. Love. Take care. Lots of love. Bye. Bye. enjoyed today's show feel free to get in touch with us at whatgoespod at gmail.com or you can contact us on twitter at whatgoespod or instagram at whatgoespod